Hi, this is Ricardo, pastor of Journey Church Ventura. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Hope you're having a great week. We hope it's life-giving and life-changing. Take care. Yes, so I'm very glad to be back with you guys today. I was actually um, going to share something really cool and everything, but I just had to share this because 10 years ago today, I posted on Facebook. Facebook's terrible. It's terrible. But the only thing that's good about it is like, oh, wow, I used to post stuff about my life and what was going on. Ten years ago today, I, p- I posted this. You know what I'm thankful for today? Realizing when I woke up this morning that I'm covered by unmerited grace from a wonderful Savior. I'm married to the amazing Robin. I have four absolutely stunningly stupendous kids, Audrey, Austin, Autumn, and August. I'm incredibly blessed by a church that I love and that it will be that way again tomorrow. God's love, God's grace, his unmerited favor doesn't stop. It keeps going. And that was 10 years ago, and I'm still blown away by it. It's amazing how God works. And I'm glad to be back here because it feels like it's been a very long time since I was here. Uh, the life has been very full since I was last year. I, the time I was here before, I was about to go on my anniversary trip with Robin to, to Disney World. We had a great time celebrating 25 years of marriage. But in the time period since then, holy moly, it has been quite a lot of life. Um, big milestones happening in my family. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but it feels like life just keeps going faster and faster, and life turns on. And, and I turned 54 this year, so I feel like I'm turning into a grandpa. I'm not a grandpa, just for the record, but I feel like I'm getting old, and I feel like I'm aging every day. I, like I got it this morning. I'm like, my back hurts. Why? Because I got out of bed today. So I feel like, oh, it's happening so fast. Um, but big things happen in my family. My, my oldest son, Austin, started his senior year in college. My youngest daughter started her senior year of high school. My youngest son started high school. That blew me away. I'm like, oh, you're a freshman now. How did that happen? And also, he's almost as tall as me, which means I'm going to have two sons who are at least taller than me, which is all I asked of the Lord when they were born. Let my sons not be short, uh, under tall like me. Um, my uh, I, Things that I didn't think would happen. I mean, 1987, it feels like it was just yesterday because I was in high school in 1987. And I feel like, how can it have been years ago that I was in high school because I remember high school and all my kids are in high school making memories and doing all these things. So they have all these big milestones happening. Um, right after school started, we got home from our great, great trip. My amazing wife, Robin, after she got home from work one day, turned to tell me that she was going to garden in the garden the next day. And as she turned to tell me that, she fell in the swimming pool and broke her foot. So she has spent two months bored and on crutches and unable to do very much which is not my wife at all. She does everything and accomplishes a thousand things a day. And now she walks, she walks 15,000 steps a day in her job. And now she's like, I don't even get to walk to the couch. And all of us are family, where's your crutches? Do you have your crutches? Where's your boot? Where's your? She's like, stop asking me about my crutches. Because she wants to go do it herself, but she can't. Luckily for us in our family, as you know how much we love Christmas, the Hallmark Channel just started Christmas countdown movies again and now she's like okay i'm in my happy place so at least she's got a broken foot but she's doing better this week we we're supposed to find out if the healing has happened it's been two months so prayers up this week that robin's foot is healed because that will make her and all of us extremely happy because then we will see her able to live out to her full potential one last giant milestone that happened and there's a reason i'm telling you all this so i'm going to get to it one second but that is my oldest daughter audrey uh got engaged uh, yes. Congratulations to her. Uh, we're very excited. Great young man named Sean. Uh, they met working at Starbucks. Uh, the coffee flows. The energy happens. And I guess you fall in love with that. A lot of caffeine. You know? I love you. Uh, 
So they're excited. They, we found a wedding venue in Chino Hills. They set a date for next August. And so I'm going into this holiday season feeling super emotional because I know that all of them will be Audrey's last, whatever those things are, right? We, we are a family that when Halloween is over, we embrace Christmas 100%. Now we think, celebrate Thanksgiving big time, but Thanksgiving is a blip in the Christmas calendar. So on November 1st, our Christmas decorations went up, and I was literally having these moments of, oh, this is fantastic, until I realized this is the last time she will ever hang that ornament on the tree. And then I started, <laughs> you okay, Daddy? I'm fine. I love Christmas. This is great. So why do I tell you all this? Because this part of our series, Ripped, that we're talking about is all about this idea of something that has become very real to me over the last several months. If you've gathered anything from what Pastor Ricardo has been saying, these spiritual disciplines are essential to getting us not only through life, but to help us excel in life and have the life that God created for us and calls us to as Christians. When life gets busy and crazy and full and changes come, it's not an influencer on Instagram or the latest self-help bestseller on Amazon that's going to get us through it successfully. It's how well we are going to develop and grow these spiritual practices that deepen our faith and then drive us closer to God. That is what's going to make the difference. So your physique may not be super toned. You may be softer in certain areas than you'd like to be. I, I understand that. Uh, you know that diet, exercise, movement, all the rest of the things that our, our watches and our phones and doctors remind us to do are the only way to truly improve our physical self. If your faith isn't super toned either, if your spiritual gut is a little softer than it should be, and your spiritual muscles are a little weaker than you'd like, it's the same thing. Diet, exercise, movement, all the things the Bible and devotionals and our pastors remind us to do are the only ways to truly improve that, to get ripped spiritually. It takes a lot of spiritual muscle development, a lot of repetition and persistent commitment to, to, uh, to all this daily stuff that we go through. However small they may be, that we're going to get us to that point where we like, look at our spiritual muscles and go, wow, I look like that guy spiritually. I will never look like that guy physically, and I'm okay with that. I've accepted that I'm short and flabby. It's good. It's fine. I'm working on it. But on the inside, I feel like I can get like a six-pack of faith, right? You feel like you should get like that? Exactly. All of us can do that. So one of the areas I've truly had to lean on in this season of life and change is one of my favorite spiritual disciplines. It's not something we often think about when we're driving in our cars, making dinner for the kids, or working on a project at work. And yet, according to Scripture, according to God himself, it's one of the most important things that you can do to grow in your faith and grow closer to him. Most of us think that we excel at this for at least 25 minutes of concentrated effort with a two-and-a-half-minute cool-down later every Sunday. But the kind of activity doesn't paint the entire picture of this vital part of our faith. Many of you think you just did this exercise. You may have done it loudly. You may have clapped or danced around a little bit. I saw some of you really getting into it. Maybe you don't like people to hear you, so you only did it in your head. Any ideas on what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's what we call worship. To the contemporary believer here in the church, the word worship means three songs led by someone with a guitar, sometimes a band, typically before a long and boring sermon, but not today because it's me. <laughs> Sorry, Pastor Ricardo. Followed up by a quick, fun song at the end of the boring sermon. 
That's what we think worship is, right? And yet, when we worship at church on Sundays, we do it for about 30 minutes of, of this time, and then we get to go home and don't really think about worshiping again until we hear the leader say, why don't we get our feet and worship together this morning the next Sunday? So we think worship happens for about 25 minutes. We go home, the week goes on, and then next week when Milo says, Pastor Milo says, hey, get on your feet and let's worship today. All worship is now happening. But worship is not about singing songs. I, I get it. Everyone loves to sing. Not everyone loves to sing and make music. I am definitely one of those people that do, do that. I am constantly singing and making music of some kind. Uh, a lot of whistling, too, which I do without even thinking about it, um, which is fine when I was the only one home, but my, my wife is home all the time, and she's like, you are always singing, always whistling. I'm like, I don't even mean to. She's like, okay, it's fine. I love you so much, but stop whistling. I'm like, okay, stop. There's still a song in my heart. I can't help it, right? And that may not be you. Maybe you're not one of those people who just, I burst into song. I love singing. It sounds like Elf, right? I'm, I'm in a car and I'm singing. Maybe that's not you. And that's okay because there's not always those things. It's okay if music doesn't flow out of you because worship is far more and far greater than what we have come to believe it is. It's not just singing songs to and about God. In fact, the original Hebrew word for worship doesn't even mention the word, doesn't even mention this idea of melody or song. And it says nothing about guitars or clapping hands. The original word for worship found throughout the Bible is shakah. And it means literally to bow. To bow. A simple way of explaining this is showing respect, telling others they are important and honoring them. Even when our modern English word worship was introduced in the 12th century, it didn't have anything to do with singing and dancing. If you look up the word worship today, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary says it this way, worship is to honor or show reverence for a divine being or supernatural power, to regard with great or extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. You may be seeing a better idea why worship is important to our faith as prayer and giving. It's just as vital. It's as important as reading our Bible and sharing our testimonies with others. Because worship is at the heart of our attitude toward God. Think about that. In the Old Testament, anytime an act of worship occurs, it's not people coming and going, I love the Lord Jesus, I love the Lord Jesus. He, there's none of that happening. It comes with something very dear. Every time worship happens in the Old Testament, it comes with a sacrifice. You didn't worship God with a quick chorus and a bridge and a key change. You brought something of value, something that cost you, and then you gave it to him because it showed him the honor and respect that he deserves. By doing this, they would let the creator of the universe, the one who guided their paths and directed our steps to know our thankfulness, the heart of gratitude, and showed him proper devotion, honor, and reverence. Imagine that. Even in the New Testament, when Jesus talks about worship, he still talks about sacrifice. It just has a new meaning. This is what Jesus did a lot. He came through, he said, hey, okay, I know this is what we all did. Let me give you the meaning because now I'm here to make sure it all happens. I'm here to fulfill all of that stuff as, as Pastor Ricardo talked about when we, had, we were having communion. Jesus came to fulfill all those rules and regulations that people had before and give them a new meaning. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, Jesus says this. Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices, 
For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. In other words, worship is an act of honor and reverence to God, enacted in a physical and personal way. By the way, we show love, mercy, compassion, grace, all of those things to those who are around us. We don't think of worship very often like this in church because modern Christianity has, for better or worse, made two words that are not similar at all mean the exact same thing. I get really into the word thing because I was an English teacher for a while. I realized that I didn't like kids enough to be an English teacher, so I stopped doing that. And then I became a kid's pastor, which was weird. I don't know how that happened. Because really, I mean, I love my four kids, but the rest of the world, I mean, your kids are great, but they're your kids, so please keep them with you, right? But I fell in love with words and the power of words and why using the right word in the right moment is so important. And this is a great example because we've, we've equated two words that don't mean the same thing to mean the same thing. Worship and praise. There are at least eight different words used in the Bible for what we in modern English call praise. And every single one of them has something to do with making loud noise, playing instruments, and singing. So make no mistake, singing and and making music in praise is very important to God. The Bible mentions it over 300 times. But praising God is not the same as worshiping him. And as we've seen, there's really only one biblical word for worship. What does it mean? It means to bow. And not just like you see like uh, when people like bow at the end of a show. Yes, thank you. I know I was amazing. Thank you. Thank you. No, bow in the Hebrew. I am flat on my face because I don't even deserve to be in your presence. Holy cow. Can you imagine if... Thank you for clapping that I was able to get back up again. I appreciate that. It's this opportunity. We're flat on our faces before God. It's our opportunity to show him that honor and that reverence. But in an even more obvious and practical way, it's our chance to show God how much we actually understand, I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve your mercy, your forgiveness, the blessings. I don't deserve any of these things. And also, wow, I really don't, deserve to be able to show that that you've given me god to the world i live in because that's how we can physically show god our worship because most of us are not going to walk around every single day flat on our faces it's impractical to drive a car that way you just can't do it and if you walk in your office on monday morning and go and then you walk in with an attitude of worship and you're on your face hey bob how you doing i am so in love with god today by the way did you finish that powerpoint presentation It doesn't work. You can't do it. It's not going to happen. So how can we show God that reverence he deserves? Well, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear in his letter to the Romans. He says it this way. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. 
You see, right before Paul says, this is the way to truly worship him, he explains what worship is. And he ties it right back into the Old Testament idea of worship. Give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you, and let them be a living and holy sacrifice. So worship, as described here, involves surrendering your thoughts, your desires, and your actions to align with God's will. It's this, it's this conscious decision that we have to make daily to live in obedience, seeking to please God in every aspect of our lives. Because true worship isn't confined to a specific place or time at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Or if there's a special service on Wednesday at 7.30 or at a Christmas tree lighting between the hours of 4 to 6 p.m. with your push-pull parade. That's not when you only worship. You may praise there, you may sing, you may dance, and worship may occur, but worship isn't confined to one specific day, time, or moment. It happens every moment, and it permeates every decision. You know what permeate means, right? You ever seen a sponge? You've seen a sponge, right? I literally asked you the question, have you ever seen a sponge? And no one said yes. <laughs> they have sponges in Ventura, right? I mean... So you've seen a sponge. It's hard for us to sometimes find the sponge that we keep in our sink because we have a kitten who is obsessed with the sponge. So every morning we find, we find the sponge in a new place. It was under the couch. The other day it was under our bed. Wherever you find the sponge, the permeation is when everything soaks into the sponge and becomes part of it. And if you've ever cleaned up like something gross with your sponge, how much of the sponge just feels like, oh my gosh, it's all in there. That's permeation. So our worship is supposed to be sponge-like, filled, permeated with happening every moment of our lives. It's not a, it's like, oh, I squeeze it out and then it's done. Your sponge of worship should be constantly soaked. That sounds disgusting, but you see what I'm trying to say, right? Embracing this lifestyle of righteousness, love, and humility— then it shows itself in how we treat the people that God puts in our lives. You can't live a life of righteousness, love, and humility while being a total jerk. Christians who are jerks are not showing a life of worship. You're not living in humility and, and, and reverence and righteousness. And Jesus knew this. He, uh, he was unafraid to call people of faith out uh, for saying they loved and worshiped and praised God, but then they acted differently outside of the temple. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus confronts the Pharisees and the scribes who were more focused on, how, on saying how much they loved God, but didn't really act on it in everyday life. They, had all, they said, listen, we, can, we, we, we fulfill the law of Moses. We do this. We give this way. We do this. We are worshiping God. And then they walk out of the temple and be total jerks. That's like us sitting here together, we're worshiping, we're having a great time, we're laughing, we're talking about sponges, we're calling our faces, we walk outside, and we're total jerks to everyone that we encounter. We go to lunch after church, and the waitress sees the church crowd walks in and goes, oh, crikey, the church people are here. <laughs> Let me give you a tip here, honey, it's a little track to tell you about Jesus. Come see our tree lighting. Don't worry about feeding your children. Just come see our tree lighting. That, what? No. Jesus calls it out. 
He says, look, you're more focused on appearances than on the true essence of worship and honoring God. He says this, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. I never, ever, ever want Jesus to say that my worship is a farce. It's fake. It's made up. There's nothing real happening in me. It's great because, guys, I'm doing it right now. I'm telling you all the ways to worship. I'm saying this is how you worship. And if I get in my car and start screaming at my kids or arguing with my wife— I am not having the attitude of worship that I'm supposed to have. Imagine if Jesus sat in service today and heard all the singing, heard us saying how much we loved worship, and then said, well, the people at Journey Church Ventura honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. God forbid. Praising God, singing songs, playing instruments, making loud noises, shouting amen, There's a lot of ways to honor him with our lips. But worship, the living sacrifice that Paul talks about, is all driven from one place. It all comes from right here. It comes from your heart. Anyone can go through the motions. Anyone can raise their hands, shout an amen, or sing a hallelujah, which we just sang beautifully. And some of you have really lovely voices, and some of you are really lovely people. But if your life is empty of true humility, love, and respect for others, then you are not worshiping. You may be pretty good at praise, but you aren't worshiping God the way that Christ calls us to. And the only way to do that is to live every day with humility, honor, and dedication to God and showing love and respect to the people he puts in our place. I know I'm not uh, the perfect specimen of physical greatness. I know you all were thinking maybe he is when he walked up on stage because Pastor Carter said, oh, guest speaker for Ripped. He's like, oh, a bodybuilder. I have a body, and I have built it. It is what it is. Frame by frame. Sometimes I've been successful at, at making it a little thinner of a, a, a more fit facility than it is currently. I'm softer in some spots than I'd like to be. And the muscles I once worked so hard to strengthen are a little less strong. They're muscles because they still do this. My arms still move, but when I do this, their definition is not quite as impressive to my wife. It's like, do you remember a couple years ago? I'm like, yes, I know, I know, I know. I've got to work on that. But I do know the difference I feel when I work out and when I work out. Work out? Work out, okay? Go with me. When I work out, I'm going through the motions. I'm not pushing myself. I'm not doing anything to truly raise my heart rate. And if I sweat at all, it's because of the humidity in the gym from all the other sweaty people who are huffing and puffing around me. I'm like, wow, they are so sweaty. It's getting on me now. Good grief, what is happening? Whew, I'm so sweaty. I feel good at the end of my half hour because at least I did something. Have you ever said that to yourself? Well, at least I did something. Okay. But it cost me nothing. I don't hurt. My muscles aren't sore from, from exertion. There's not a lot of improvement, and it's a temporary phase I can easily finish and not think about when it's all over. I can pat myself on the back for doing the bare minimum and stop by in and out on the way home. <laughs> I earned a cheeseburger today. Oh, and fries and a shake, please. That's a workout. But when I truly work out when I put thought into it and actually try hard to push myself out of my comfort zone to dedicate myself to being healthy, it takes work. When I've done my best over the years to be healthy and eat right and exercise, I can't go through motions and be done. 
I have to do it every single day. I have to plan. I have to be purposeful. I have to sacrifice, not eat certain things, and give up a time that I would rather do something else to pursue physical activity. I have a job where I sit all the time. I literally sit all day, eight hours a day at a computer, working, 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 and my watch says, you need to stand up now. I said, shut up, watch. I'll do what I want to do, right? You can't tell me what to do, watch. And my wife comes in and says, Robin, she says it because she's awesome. She's like, hey, I love you so much. I don't want you to die. Can you please move? Get out of that chair. Walk around. Like, oh, yeah, I should probably do that. It's a lot easier to ignore your watch than it is to ignore your wife. And if you ignore your wife, then shame. <laughs> well, then you know what's going to happen to you. So just watch out. <laughs> when I pursued physical activity with vigor and excitement, I am usually tired. And I'm a little worn out when I'm done. I may not really enjoy it. But the sweat and the work pay off, and I look and I feel better over time, and soon it's not as hard as it used to be. And then my doctor says, hey, guess what? You're doing much better. Your heart rate's better. Your physical activity, you're doing great. Well, that's what it should be like when we worship as Christians. It moves us from this easy-to-do act of praise to the, it may hurt a little bit, act of sacrifice that Paul says is true worship. But then God says, look at you. You're looking better. You're looking at a little six packs of worship going on right there. Your spiritual heart rate is lower. You're looking, you are less likely to get spiritual diabetes. Good job. <laughs> True worship then is found in living a life of humility and honor to others because it reflects the very nature of Jesus Christ. It may not be easy, and there's a lot of people out there in the world who I would sometimes rather ignore and leave alone on the freeway, in line at Starbucks, commenting on my page when I write something. But Jesus says that if I want to show true worship to God, I live it out by showing honor and respect to the people he puts in my path. As Paul explained in Romans 12, it's an approach to life that encompasses the daily choices that each of us make, the way we interact with others, and the use of our God-given gifts as we follow Jesus' command to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Like a committed plan for exercise, worship cannot be something that we do just once a week if we want to see actual results. The spiritual transformation, to become ripped spiritually, to draw closer to God, and become even more in tune with our calling as Christians, it's going to take each of us saying to ourselves daily, I will worship God in spirit and in truth, and I will let it transform not only my mind, but the way I act and live and think every single day. That's where transformation happens, and that's where you get ripped. When Pastor Ricardo and I were talking about today's message, he, uh, he sent me this quote, which I felt deeply in love with, from the great theologian A.W. Tozer. It's an unfortunate name. But it's a great quote. It stuck with me. I love it. It says this, The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion, and man's spiritual journey will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than their idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. That's a great quote, A.W. Tozer. However, you wrote in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and so it's hard to understand what you said. So let's try it in a more modern tone. Throughout history, humans have found their greatest strengths in their beliefs. And growth of one's spiritual life will never grow if they have a narrow perception of God. The purity of worship depends on the worshiper's perception of God, whether they understand the amazing hugeness of God and what it requires of us, or whether their idea of who God is stays small.
imagine you're standing under a vast starlit sky. You're marveling at the universe's grandeur. Now think of your perception as God, of God as the lens through which you view this cosmic masterpiece. Tozer's words remind us that the purity of our worship is intricately linked to the clarity of this lens. How great and awesome is God. In other words, if your view of God is awe-inspiring, filled with reverence for his greatness and his love, your worship becomes, I'm going to pull that music back into it, like a heartfelt symphony, echoing your deep understanding of his divine nature. It's like standing in the presence of a, of a magnificent mountain and feeling that sense of humility and awe that how am I even allowed to be on the planet next to this great thing? You ever stood on the edge of the Grand Canyon? Yeah, I feel that way. Standing there one time with my family on one of our road trips, and you look out and like, this thing is huge. It's so deep. I am so small. God, you are amazing. Go to Yosemite, right? Ever stand there in the nighttime and see the stars? You can't help but respond and marvel, and you feel like you have to do something to help the world around you in celebration of just how amazing it is. It's a clear view of the wonder and the, and the wow, and your heart has to do something to show how great the impact the wonder has had on your soul. You cannot help but go do something to show it. But on the flip side, oof, if your perception of God is shallow or distorted, your worship might resemble a faint echo rather than a powerful melody. You can't see God for who he is. You see a smudgy view that makes the world around you seem even more difficult to see and respond to. As you see, I wear glasses. Surprise! I will frequently stop and think, am I going blind? And my wife will say, no, you just not cleaned your glasses in several days. And I'll pull them off. I'll go, holy cow, how did I even see out of these things? You know, wipe them off. They're pretty bad right now, actually. You all look really good today because you look smudged. So I'm like, hey, you all look fantastic. And now I can't see you at all, so you even look better. So congratulations. You're beautiful. You're very ripped. But once I clean that lens off, I suddenly realize, oh, my world is detailed. It's amazing. And I can read the freeway signs and not worry about driving off the road now. Thank you, Jesus. You see what I'm saying? I'm saying worship is work. Worship challenges us to dive into the depths of understanding who God truly is. And the more we grasp his majesty, his love, and his holiness, the richer and more authentic our worship gets to become. Oh, my goodness. And then even better, we are able to then share that with the world, worship and praise are not the same thing. They can work together for sure, but singing songs and clapping hands for a half hour every week is not going to build that spiritual muscle of worship. Worship, as Paul reminds us in Romans 12, and as Jesus himself said, and later showed through his own sacrifice on the cross, involves living every single day with humility, love, and respect for others. It's about honoring God by embracing who he is, what his son has called us to do, and then applying them in our interactions in the world. When do we worship? Not on Sunday. 
we praise God on Sunday. You, you, you maybe you worship here too, but it's not just that singing and dancing and loving Jesus and clapping hands and slapping backs and drinking coffee together. You can worship right now, and you can worship later when you're eating dinner with your family. You should worship when you're doing that project for work. And you should really worship when you're stuck in traffic on a lousy Tuesday afternoon. My son recently started driving back and forth to school. He has to drive in L.A. traffic, and I'm talking the worst parts of L.A. traffic from uh, LAX. I say the words, everyone's like, oh, LAX, I know. You kind of cringe a little bit. Two trusts two trust of friendship is if everyone, someone asks you to take them to LAX, right? You're like, I'm sorry, I don't love you that much. But every day, he drives back and forth. And getting there is easy, but getting home, as he said, it drives an, a crazy rage inside of me. I'm like, this is a great example of when you can worship. Traffic is terrible, worship. Because when we open our hearts and minds trying to comprehend the greatness of God, then something pretty great happens. Our worship becomes genuine. Even in life's toughest moments, we are worshiping. It becomes far more about than just I'm singing the song. It's me happening and walking in and seeing people and saying, oh, how can I help you? How can I make a difference in your life? Because God has done so much for me. He is so amazing. You've got to know how amazing he is. And the only way I can do that, I can't just tell you. I've got to show you. I've got to live it out to you. I've got to let you see how great God is. As Paul said, then you will know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Do you want to know God's will for you? The best place to do that then is to worship him and worship him with your bodies by doing it out there every single day. It's not easy. Sometimes you're going to sacrifice what you want. You have to sacrifice what you desire, what you think you need to have today. But Paul says this is the way to truly worship him. As our perception of God grows, as we see him for how amazing and big and grand he truly is, then we will not settle for anything less than that true worship. We won't confuse praising God, which is important and awesome, and I'm so glad the band is here because I love singing with them. But when we show that worship, when we live out that thing, well, then something amazing happens. Because worship is a genuine, heartfelt response to God's greatness expressed through a life of love Humility and respect for others. It's not just about what we say. It's about how we live. Echoing the harmony of worship in every interaction and decision that we make. When we started this morning, I shared all the stuff my family's been going through. A lot of good, some bad, a lot of hard work for everybody. But in this season, I've discovered something I didn't truly understand, and that was the depth of what worship can do for us. How it literally changes the way that we think and we act. My wife, Robin, has had to lean on me and my kids to do everything that she is used to doing for herself over the last few months. This is not normal for our marriage. Because she is a strong and fiercely independent woman with her own amazing career. Used to leading huge teams and taking care of our house, our family, and yes, even me. Trusting me to clean the house to her ideal, relying on me to make dinners, make sure the kids are getting their homework done, making sure Austin's getting to school, helping with whatever I can for Audrey's wedding, needing me to help adjust pillows and get crutches for her in the middle of the night. That's not the way that she wanted to spend the last few months. But I discovered something. I discovered that the more my wife needed me, the deeper my love for her went, and the more I wanted to do things for her. 
The more I could help her and assist her, the more love I felt for her. The more she needed me, the happier I was to help her. It's not always easy, and I know I've showed frustration far more than I wanted to. Sorry, honey. She's sitting right up there. But in the end, it's helped me understand what it means to love, to live out that idea of worship. I don't worship my wife. She's great, but I've learned what it means to show that idea of humility. It's not about me. It's not about what I need. The world around us needs us to do the same thing. Maybe for your spouse, maybe for your friends, maybe for your neighborhood, maybe for your coworkers. I don't know what, but I do know this. That is the heart of worship. It's what Paul said, what Jesus showed, what Tozer wants us to understand. To express that honor, that love, that devotion every single moment of our lives. So when we get done singing it here, we don't just sing it, but then we live it. We clap our hands and shout, amen, yes. And then we walk out the door, we bring it to the world. Genuine, heartfelt response to God's greatness. Expressed through a life of humility, love, and respect for others. As Paul wrote in Romans, God transforms you into a new person by changing the way you think about others, about yourself, and most importantly, about him and how great he is, how awesome he is, and how he deserves us to consistently say, I will fall on my face before you, God, because I deserve nothing, and yet you give it to me anyway. I deserve nothing, God. I praise you. I worship you. I don't want it. I want you to have it all. So as we continue our 21 days of prayer together as a church, let's make a commitment to go out there and live a daily life of worship the way that God has called us. Let's make every moment at the grocery store, the post office, reading a book or scrolling through your phone. Let's make those moments ones where we honor God. Not just with our our words and things we say, but the kindness we show the respect we offer, and the love we share. Because when we do that to the people out here, we're saying to him, I worship you. I give you everything, which means I can do no less than to give everything to the world around me. Let's exercise our life of worship. Let's get ripped together, right? Will you stand with me? We could do some spiritual workouts right now. I could ask everyone... Hey, get down on your face, bow. But I'm not going to do that because I will never get back up again. But you know what? I don't want to get back up again. I want to bow down before God and say, God, I, I get so caught up in myself and my own stuff. Can you just be in charge of everything and just let me show the world how much you are awesome and how much you love me and how I deserve nothing? If that's how we want to live, then, oh my gosh, we will change this world. The world is messed up. You may not have noticed. Pastor Ricardo said, you give up something for fasting. I'm like, yes, can I give up politics? Can I fast from the politics and the mess of the world? Because I just want God to do something amazing. And the only way that will happen is if his people who call him their Lord and their Savior say, I will live my life of worship. I will walk out of the door every Sunday. And everything that I do will show the honor and respect that you've given me, God, to the world that's around me. That's how they will know we are Christians. How? By our love, by our life. And that's how we will truly be in God's will. Let's help everyone around us see the greatness of God. Can we do that together? Let's do that. 
Father God, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for a chance to truly embrace praise and singing songs that honor you with our words and our actions. But God, help us then take that praise and live out a life of worship to bow down before you physically in our hearts and in our minds and then to be able to say to the world that's around us, this God that I love is amazing. This God that I serve is awesome. He deserves all the honor and respect. He deserves everything from me. So God, I will give up everything for you to the world that's around me. In my house, to my family. I will not be selfish with my wife and my children. I will not be selfish to my spouse. I will not be selfish at work. I will honor everyone around me. And as I do that, God, I know that I will bring honor and glory to the greatest one who ever lived. To the creator of the universe. To the one who loves me and gave me everything far more than I ever deserved. God, we give this week to you. We give these next few days of our 21 days of prayer to you. We ask you not only to transform us, but as we go out of this place, that you will help us transform the world as we live a life of worship to our amazing, amazing God. In Jesus' name, we all pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to join your journey. And I hope the message made a big difference in your life. And if it did, we just encourage you to go to journeychurchventura.com and let us know. Also, be free to share this message with your friends and family. We just love to impact as many people as we can. Once again, thank you for joining us at Journey Church Ventura.